We're starting in Genesis 4, and we're really only going to look at 4 through 16 today. If you have a way to read it with me, that's probably going to be helpful on your phone or, or uh, an actual Bible, if you, if you have one of those. Uh, if you don't, that's okay. I, I am, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different as you hear me read it or as you, um, as you go through it yourself. What I want to ask you to do today is pay attention to your response to it. Because I think we have a lot of responses to passages like this where we wonder if it's true or wonder what we're missing or we have an emotional response. Whatever that is, just pay attention to your own response. We're going to have some time to talk about it, uh, even in this this sermon-ish kind of thing, okay? All right. Genesis 4, 1 and 2, we'll start there. Now the man knew his wife Eve. Knew is like a, that's in a way adults talk around kids, right? So the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. Okay. These are the first kids that we have, right? There are two boys and we have two names. I know that Kat last week talked about names and how important they are. And this is for us to get this story. This is really important. So Cain, language is weird, right? Like these ancient languages don't fit perfect with our language. So the, the word that we have for what Cain means is either... I have acquired from Yahweh or I have created with Yahweh. Okay, but it's this idea like we know that there was a there was there was going to be pain in in not just childbirth, but child rearing and all of this. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And out of that, there was this rejoicing that either I created with Yahweh or I acquired this gift. Of this child from Yahweh, meaning the Lord. And, and Cain represented this favor and this promise of God. Cain was the favorite. And if we know ancient world, firstborn are that, right? Firstborn get double portions of inheritance. All of that, this great responsibility. This is a middle child saying this. Firstborn are the most important in, the, in that world, right? And then there is Abel. Abel means vanity, means vapor, means nothing. How's that feel? So there is Cain, who's like, ta-da! And then there's Abel, who's like, eh. eh. Now, there could be a deeper meaning to that. There could be. There could be the, like, life is fleeting, we're, we're but dust. But they don't know that yet, right? <laughs> like, no, nobody has perished yet so that it'd be tough to read that into that so i think the most accurate thing to do is to see that cain is the favorite and abel comes along and is vapor or nothing at least he is not the favorite right so these are the characters at, at play and let's remember yes this is about cain and abel but more than that this is about god this is where we learn about who god is so look at verse three through five with me In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought of the 
firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. What do you feel when you hear that or read that? Me? I'm like, why is God angry? What's wrong? What did Cain do wrong? Does, like, is, is God like a meat eater? Like he needs meat? Is this where the sacrifice system comes in? No, like that isn't the case. It's not preferring meat over grains. In fact, if you look at the Hebrew word, this is a grain offering that they're both giving. God didn't, the text doesn't say that God required it. So all of those questions that I have, the author is not paying attention to. So let's pay attention to what the author is paying attention to. But it's hard for me to, because I'm like, why is God mad? How did we already make God mad in in chapter four? (laughs) It's so quick. We already screwed up in Genesis three, and now we're in like page number four or five. Well, page three in mine. And he's mad again. Is God always mad? These are the questions that I have. This is the stuff that I wonder. And if we don't ask these questions aloud, then they kind of live in our soul. And they kind of live just as truth, right? They start as a question, is God always mad? But if we don't have a safe space to ask it, then we just live like God might always be mad. That's not a good way to live. So let's start asking these questions. Okay, so there's a time period that's called Second Temple Judaism, right? It's after the temple fell. It's in this whole timeline that we did. In the second temple Judaism, there was a belief that we read in Hebrew 11 as to why God preferred Abel. In Hebrews 11, well, okay, here's what it says. 11.4 is the verse. What it says is Abel offered the gift by faith. By faith in God, Abel gave this great gift to God. And Cain did it out of like religious obligation. This is what I got to do. And so this second temple Jewish thought that gets into our text through Hebrews says, oh, because we're supposed to give out of faith and out of relationship, not out of obligation. This is almost like the birthplace of this stale religion. And God's not satisfied with just a gift that's like, oh, I have to do this, right? That makes some sense to me. There's another idea. That mom liked Cain. And God always has a heart for the underdog. God always has a heart for the people who feel that they're nothing. Who fear that they're nothing. Who've been told that they're nothing. And so God... Loves Abel here. God looks out for Abel. Now, the interesting thing is that the author isn't very interested. The author just moves on because this isn't the point to the author. So, like, we can guess and we could talk. You come and hang with Mike and I and we could talk about it for a while, make, make our favorite decisions. But I think we just need to follow the author for a little while. Uh, but, but if you have that question, that makes some sense. So the author goes on, and in 6 and 7, it says this, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, 
will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Okay, there's a lot in this, right? So the funny thing is, earlier, God had no regard for Cain. He wasn't really angry. But no regard, if you're used to being the favorite, feels like anger. Feels like you're ignored. Feels like, hey, that isn't fair. All of a sudden, my younger brother's getting attention. And God comes to Cain here, not upset. He gave regard to Abel, and now he comes to to Cain, and he's like, hey, why are you so angry? If you do what's right, we'll be good. We'll walk just like I walked in Genesis 2 with, with your parents. We'll be close. But if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. And you must master it. A- anyone else not really like that? Like that imagery kind of like, kind of creeps me out a little bit. I-, I don't like things lurking at my door. My small group had a raccoon lurking over our food on Wednesday night. That was creepy enough. I don't know that that raccoon was necessarily sin, but maybe, maybe it was made after the fall. I don't know. You see, nothing was lost with God yet. And God's asking, what is it that's bothering you, Cain? And Cain, at this moment, you have a choice. And at this point, I say, put your name in. You have a choice. We can either do what's good and keep in fellowship with God, keep in fellowship with one another, or we can give in to the sin that's lurking at the door. What is the sin that's lurking at the door? It sounds kind of like jealousy. It sounds kind of like competitiveness, all of that. My brother has this and I don't. It sounds like living in a, in a world where there's not enough, where there's lack. Where so far what we know of God's character is that God is abundant. And so it's important for us to, to think on this. We'll come back to it. But look at verse, <laughs> verse 8. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out in the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Period. Next verse. That's super fast. Like this is not like Steinbeck or one of these other people who take, you know, 7,000 pages to describe a rock. He just killed somebody in like four words. That's crazy. Quick event. Abel's killed. 4-9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? This is the question that's asked of Cain here. Where's your brother? And he responds with a question. Am I my brother's keeper? And our answer to that question has real consequences. We're going to get back to this, but I want to have us look. Go ahead and read through 10 through 16. I'm not going to read through it all for us. But an interesting thing happens. You see, the ground curses Cain. Abel's blood soaks into the ground, and the ground then curses Cain and says, you can't produce these vegetables, these grains. 
You're not going to be able to. And Cain gets scared of whoever is out there. Who they are? I don't know. We can talk about that. How did people get there? All of these kind of things. But what the author says is he's afraid that one of those people, as he's out wandering and trying to collect food, one of those people is going to kill him. And so God gives him a mark of protection. Now, this is really important, but we're going to wait until the flood story to talk about this mark of protection and, and that because there's a correlation with what happens there and there's some important stuff. So if you're interested in that, make a note and, and we're going to come back to it in like two more conversations on Genesis. And then he heads to Nod and we're going to talk about the city of Nod in chapter 11. But here's what really matters for us today. The ground curses. That's weird, right? If you remember last time, remember what a curse is. It's where protection and favor is removed, right? It's not this hex. It's not this, you're horrible. It's just, no, I no longer favor you. And how the ground is personified in this way and how the ground is allowed to no longer protect and no longer to give favor to Cain, I don't get it. But that's what the text says, and I think it's worth us wrestling with. But it also says that that curse comes from the ground, not from God. What does God do? God gives some mercy and offers protection himself. God gives this mark. And the mark means if anybody is to kill Cain, they'll endure way more punishment. And so he's safe because he's marked by God. He still wanders. There's still a consequence for what he did. He's still severed from the people in the place that he knows. But he's offered a protection from God. Does that make a little bit of sense? You probably have 100 questions there, and I hope you do. Because this text is worth having 100. We are just going to spend a couple minutes on, on two, two-ish questions that stood out to me. Okay, well, let's go back. Sin is lurking at your door. What does that do in you? What does that phrase do in you? When you hear it, does that sound like, yeah, that's what life feels like? Or does that wake up like old bad theology where where sin is underneath every pillow and every page of paper and every piece of paint on the wall. You know what I mean? Here's a concern that I have for us as we kind of recover from things we used to believe that we no longer believe, is we can exchange bad theology for more bad theology. We can just swing the other way. And I think sometimes we do this. I think for some of us who grew up where, where sin is everywhere and you're supposed to live terrified, we then have swung to a place where sin is nowhere. And that's not biblical either. And that doesn't really make sense of the situations and circumstances of our lives either. So what are we going to do with this? So maybe if you're like sin is lurking at your door, yeah, that's what life feels like. Then what about the, the, the choice that God gives? 
Because sometimes when we realize that sin is lurking at the door, we think, I just got to give in. I mean, it's at the door. I got to go through the door. I guess sin wins. But God says real clearly, you choose. You choose who you want to be. Sin's there, but you choose. Which way are you going to go? And maybe the thing that you need to hear today is that God believes in you and your ability to choose. That's what's happening here. He says to Cain, hey, why are, you, why are you angry? You don't need to be angry. Everything you had yesterday, you still got today. You still have access to it all today. Choose well. I'll walk with you. That's it. You have the ability. God's cheering for you to cheer, to choose well. There's a text in Luke that I wrote in, in our notes, and it's on our resource page, that you can look at where Jesus is saying a similar thing to Peter. Hey, I believe in you. I trust you. Choose well. I think for some of us, this is a little bit mind-blowing. That God gives us the choice and trusts us with the choice. He knows sin is lurking at the door and he's not afraid. He's not afraid for himself because he's bigger than sin. He's also not afraid for you. Because you have what you need. He's with you. And so if you're in that space where sin is lurking at your door, God believes in you. I think we could sit still in that a little bit. Okay, the second question that stands out. Am I my brother's keeper? Are you your brother's keeper? The arc of scripture says, yes, you are. You are. We don't usually say that, but you are. We're to look out for our neighbor. We're to look out for our brothers and sisters. We're to call everyone our brother and sister. We're we're to recognize that we are family in Christ. This episode, Genesis 4, is just reconciled and restored throughout the rest of Scripture. Where family is torn apart, where relationships are torn apart, God does all the work to men to bring back together to say, Hey, for all who gather, you're sisters and brothers in Christ. You're all children of God because God said so. And are you your brother's keeper? Yes, you are. I'll just tell you the answer to that one. You are. But what does that mean? That's where we have to wrestle. Now think about it. We have spent all of human history trying to not be each other's keeper. Trying to redefine who our brother is, who our neighbor is, who we're to care for. Sometimes we cluster into churches to just say that these are the few people I care about and nobody else. Like there's actually research even done that a lot of churches, not this one, but a lot of older churches are built like an ark upside down. Right. Like if you look up, it's like the bottom of a ship. And that's that's intentional to show like we're going to survive and everyone else. uh, Not so sure. But we're going to worry about us. We spent way too much time othering and ussing. When God says very clearly, yeah, you're your brother's keeper. Your brother makes choices. Sometimes your brother When sin is lurking, chooses to give in to sin. Chooses to believe Genesis 3 is their origin. Chooses to 
believe the lesser things about themselves, maybe believe the names that they've taken on over the way. Yes, but it's still our role because we are image bearers. It's still our role to look out for one another, to be there. Now, what does that look like? I can get messy. There's not just one standard answer. Sometimes that does mean giving some distance. Sometimes that does mean uh, forgiving but not reconciling. That's okay. There's room in the kingdom for that. But this question, this question is simple. Yeah, God says, yeah, we are. So the deeper question that we have to answer is what do we do with that? What do we do with the reality that we're to look out for one another? That this is never just me and Jesus. That even, frankly, my coming to this place is not about me and Jesus. And, and frankly, it's not about what I need. I don't know that we fully get the fact that by you being in this community today, this morning, you changed this community. By you choosing to be here, you changed it. And that's for the better. And so part of your even physical attendance or virtual with Zoom is about caring for your sisters and your brothers. It's not about numbers at a church and those silly things. But it is about like, hey, I'm here. Yes, I'm here to worship, but I'm here for you. I'm here because I'm in your life. I'm here because I want to know. Because I want to listen. Because I want to care. That's in the, in the tough times. That's in the good times. That's in both. Are you your brother's keeper? Let me ask you. Are you your brother's keeper? Yes. Good answer. <laughs> You're passing today. Throughout this text, we have privilege. We have favoritism. We have jealousy. All of these things are already here. Look how quick they sneak into humanity. Look how quick they replace the image-bearing nature, right? We're on page three, and already there's privileged folk. So when we're shocked that there's people of privilege today, we, we shouldn't be. It's since page three. What we need to do is learn how do we live with privilege. Inequity is from the beginning. Not from God's beginning, but from sin's beginning. How do we navigate that on behalf of our sisters and our brothers? How do we hear the voices, story, opinion of those who, who live much more with a name like vanity, vapor, or nothing? And if that's us, how do we believe we belong? That's part of what we do with this. You see, the first rebellion that we talked about a few weeks ago, damaged our relationship with God. This second one damages family, damages connection. Abel is dead. and Cain is gone forever. The kids of Adam and Eve are, they're gone. And this damage is still felt, right? So now we pay attention to what is God going to do and how is God going to react? Where I want to leave this for today is that God believes in us. Even if we've given in to the sin that lurks. 
God believes in us. And even in, if we've given in to the sin that lurks, destroys, and severs relationships, God still offers a protection. If we'll trust. And for some of you, I think the thing you need to know more than anything is God believes in you. So that kind of ups this a little bit. If God believes in me as Matt, what does he believe in me for? What does he have in front of me? What's the invitation? How do I respond in faith? I think that's enough to chew on, right? That's the first part of Genesis 4. Again, if you want to talk with Mike and I and and wrestle against something that I said, or uh, again, this is just me trying to make sense of it. I'm not saying I'm doing it all right. If you want to talk with us about it, we'd love to talk to you. But for now, we're about to enter into a time of communion. And I want to give you just a few seconds Maybe you want to ponder on this question of, am I my brother's keeper? What does that mean for me? Maybe you want to ponder on the question of God believing in you. Which way you'll choose. Or maybe you need to be honest about the fact that still sin lurks at our door. Or maybe just celebrate the reality that God's protection and favor is available to you. Wayne's passing out communion, and let's take just 10 seconds of quiet, and then I'll pray, and we'll move into that time.